0: Let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Sorry, chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> we're just going to read the first few verses here and then we'll open a word of prayer. Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy. With his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius uh, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because uh, he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Cyrus and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And that's our word of prayer. Dear Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be together in this place and to, to worship you, to sing praise to your name and to spend time gathered around your word. Lord, I pray that this morning... Lord, you would empower me through the Holy Spirit and give me wisdom and guidance from on high that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts this morning. Lord, you would teach us, you would refresh us through your word. May we learn of you this morning may we leave singing your praises. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, remember in Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul was ministering in the city of Athens. And you know, Athens... In a sense, wasn't the most successful uh, place of ministry. Okay, if you're looking at it in the sense of through the eyes of the world, it wasn't a very successful place. Okay? Not many people received the Lord there in Athens. Only a small group turned to the Lord in faith. You know, perhaps as Paul leaves Athens and travels to the next place of ministry, he's feeling a little discouraged. I mean, we couldn't blame him for feeling a little bit down because the events at Athens didn't exactly go to plan. Yeah, he didn't exactly see a great host get saved. You know, the very next city that he is led to by the Lord is the city of Corinth. You know, Corinth was not going to be an easy place. It's not as if you know he went from Athens to a really easy place for his next uh, place of ministry to encourage him and lift him up. No, Corinth was far from that. Corinth was an extremely difficult place to minister. It was a city of two, 200,000 people, It was a city that uh, was known for its great wickedness. And as Paul arrives in the city, he's all alone. He's on his own. Silas and and Timothy, we're told in verse 5, they're in Macedonia. Let's read verse 5 there. It says, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And so we know from verse 5 that Silas and Timothy, they're not with him. As Paul travels from Athens to Corinth, he's all alone he arrives in this, this great, grand city, this city that possibly is one of the most important cities that Paul ever visited. You know uh, Corinth and probably Ephesus, these are these two big, major, important cities that he ministers in. You know, it was a centre for trade, it was a centre for travel. It was also a city where strange philosophies and new religions found a home. And above all, it was a city that was known for gross immorality, even amongst the The secular writers of the time, they speak about the the sexual liberty that was found in Corinth. So even in the eyes of the world, they were known for their immorality. And this is the city that Paul finds himself now in. He's just left Athens, possibly feeling a little discouraged, and he arrives in Corinth to this extremely wicked city. You know, we couldn't blame Paul for being a little bit down and a little bit daunted by the task ahead. You know, as Paul arrives and he begins his ministry here, God gives him just the encouragement he needs. And as always, God encourages his servants. And God does that here for the Apostle Paul. He gives him the encouragement that he needs to keep going. And so this morning I want us to look at how Paul is encouraged by the Lord, and we see that God encourages us in the same way today. And so firstly, here this morning, we see that he's encouraged by the fellow believers. Encouraged by fellow believers. Look there in verse 1 again. It says, And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came under them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers. As Paul begins his ministry here in Corinth, the first way that God encourages him is through friends. God gives him some godly friends. He encourages him through fellow believers. Now, as Paul arrives in Corinth, you know, it's a city that is known for its philosophers, it's known for its itinerant preachers and teachers that are uh, coming to town, and, and they're, they're preying on the ignorant. These teachers are coming to down preying on the ignorant, they're praying on the the superstitious population to make a name for themselves and to make money. That's what all these teachers were after. You know, as Paul begins his ministry here in Corinth, there's a real possibility that his ministry will just be viewed like everybody else's. A real possibility that Paul would just be lumped in with all the other charlatans. That his message, his ministry would be misunderstood. And so as Paul comes to Corinth, he seeks to distance himself from these false teachers. These ones who are only in it for themselves, only in it to make money. And one of the ways that he does this is by supporting himself using his trade. The Apostle Paul had learnt the trade of being a tent maker. And so he uses his trade to make money to support himself in his ministry here in Corinth. And by the providence of God, he meets with a Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Okay, We saw that there in verse 2. Okay? It says, And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla. He meets this, this Jewish couple here, Aquila and Priscilla. And these two, by chance, are tent makers as well. Of course, it wasn't by chance. This is the providence of God. Okay, Nothing happens by chance with God. God sent these two on before him, if you like, to the city of Corinth. This married couple was exactly what Paul needed at this time. He needed some friends. He needed some informal employments. And God made sure it was there for him, right when he needed it most. You know, at the end of verse 2 there, we're told that they'd only recently arrived in Corinth themselves. It says, uh, Lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And so they'd only arrived in Corinth not that long before Paul themselves. They'd only come because they'd been kicked out of Rome. They'd been kicked out by the emperor Claudius. And so they'd come to Corinth and they'd begun to work in their trade as tent makers, just in time for Paul to arrive in the city, needing friends and needing a form of employment, so that he can then teach the truth, so he can then preach the gospel. See, truly, they were there by the providence of God, weren't they? This is the hand of God at work in the life of Paul and indeed in the life of Aquila and Priscilla. He brings these ones together. Now, as to the question of whether Aquila and Priscilla are already saved, now, we can't say for sure. But it would seem to me, and indeed most commentators, that they are, are already saved. The reason for that is, you know, if they weren't already saved, surely Luke as he's writing the book of Acts, would tell us how Aquila and Priscilla came to the Lord under the ministry of Paul. Okay, I mean, he does with everyone else. He's not going to ignore that, is he? So surely, if they weren't saved already, Luke would have recorded for us their conversion. And so possibly they've got saved in Rome or on their travels to Corinth. They've met with Christians. I mean, the, the gospel has spread far and wide by now. And so it seems that they're already say they've already come to the lord but in any case paul now has two friends that he's able to live with and he's able to fellowship with and he's able to work with as he supports himself in the ministry here in corinth you know this christian couple they went on to faithfully serve with paul for years to come they became a great blessing to the apostle paul they became great uh, friends to him They were willing even to risk their own lives for the Apostle Paul. Just turn over with me. I'm just going to read a few verses about Aquila and Priscilla. Romans chapter 16, first of all. Romans 16 and verse 3. says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, under whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Paul speaks here about them being his helpers. They were a great help to him and he says they were even willing to risk their own lives for Paul. They were willing to to put themselves in harm's way for the Apostle Paul. That's the kind of friends they they became to be. They loved Paul. They were close to him. Verse 18 and 19 of our present passage makes it clear that when Paul leaves Corinth, they actually go with him. Verse 18 in uh, Acts chapter 18. There it says, and after Paul, sorry, and Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And he shorn his head in Centria, uh, for he had a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And so they leave Corinth with Paul, and they actually travel with him to Ephesus. And they stay there. They actually start ministering there in Ephesus while Paul continues on before he comes back. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19, it tells us that they even opened up their home so the church could meet in their home. You see, the point is, Aquila and Priscilla, they became a great blessing to Paul, didn't they? These two, as I said, seems by a chance meeting, but it's not, is it? This is the providence of God. He brings these two across his path who become great friends to Paul and an important Part of his missionary team. You know, as I was just thinking about Aquila and Priscilla, you know, they are a good example of how lay ministers can help further the work of the Lord. It's a good example of how God needs people like Aquila and Priscilla. Every church needs people like this. You know, people who will do whatever they can to help out in whatever way they can. You know, they're willing to lend a hand, willing to open their homes, willing to give their all for Christ. Every church needs Aquila and Priscilla's. And that's what these two were. They were a great blessing to Paul as he ministered here in Corinth. And so Paul now is living and working with these two, but he's going up every Sabbath to minister in the local synagogue. Verse 4, it tells us that. Okay. We'll read verse 3 again. It says, And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for either occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And so he's basically working during the week, and then on the Sabbath he's going up to the synagogue to minister, to reason with the Jews and the Greeks, the God-fearing Gentiles there, concerning Christ. Of course, that's the whole reason he's there. He wasn't there to make tents. Okay, Paul was there to minister. And so every chance. He got on the Sabbath. He went up to minister in the synagogue. And this is where we now see that Paul is encouraged by the arrival of a second two. Silas and Timothy now arrive on the scene. Just read with me verse 5. It says, And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. In verse 5, we see now that two of his closest friends join him, Silas and Timothy, his missionary companions. And they arrive reporting on the work in Macedonia. They arrive and they report on what's going on. And it seems they also bring with them some financial aid from the churches in Macedonia. Just turn over to 2 Corinthians with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians eleven and verse eight. It says, "I robbed other churches, taking wages of them, to do you service. And when I was present with you, I wanted, uh, sorry, and when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself." In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul speaks about how while he was there ministering among them, not being a burden to them, he's making tents, the brethren from Macedonia arrive, Silas and Timothy, and they bring with them this gift, this financial aid. And in particular, this gift seems to be from the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 talks about the gift that was taken up, that they sent to aid Paul in the ministry. And what this gift does... This gift that comes from the church at Philippi in particular is it now enables Paul to give himself fully to the work. Okay, they, Silas and Timothy arrive with financial aid and now Paul can dedicate himself fully to the ministry that God's called him to. Dedicate himself fully to preaching the gospel. And So once again, we see the providence of God, don't we? Okay? promise of god in meeting with aquila and priscilla and he has a place to stay he has employment to support himself and now after this period of time god ensures that silas and timothy arrive with financial aid to encourage paul and enable him to fully dedicate himself to the work you know paul was a a great missionary evangelist wasn't he perhaps the greatest of the church you know how much would paul have accomplished on his own Think about it. How much would Paul have really accomplished on his own? Every step of the way, he had friends, didn't he? He had companions, aiding him in the work. Friends like Aquila and Priscilla, Silas and Timothy. And of course, the generous believers in fellow churches like the churches in Macedonia. You see, all of this made it possible for Paul to serve the Lord effectively. It made it possible for him to dedicate himself fully to the ministry. And his friends all encouraged him when he needed it most. They all arrived exactly when Paul needed them. You know, as a body of believers, you know, we need to, like Paul's friends, seek to encourage and strengthen one another, don't we? Encourage and strengthen one another in the work of the Lord. There are times when we get down as believers, don't we? And we need the body of believers to encourage one another, to lift each other up. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, it speaks about us bearing one another's burdens. Now we see a brother in distress, a brother who's struggling, we have to bear their burdens, help them, aid them, come alongside them. Now we are together, the body of Christ, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're one family. And as such, we should seek to come alongside and aid one another, to be a blessing, to be an encouragement. Now on Wednesday night, For those that were here, we spoke about the importance of fellowship with God's people. Fellowship to our own spiritual well-being that it encourages us spiritually. Encourages us in our relationship with the Lord. You see, we all at times need the comfort of fellow believers, don't we? We need the comfort of friends, Christian friends. And likewise, we need to be a comfort unto others as well. Just turn over to Philippians chapter 2 with me. Paul speaks about here how we're to have the mind of Christ in our treatment of one another. Philippians 2. Philippians 2 and verse 1. It says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowers and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. that nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man at his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. See we are to have the mind of Christ when it comes to how we treat one another. We are to be concerned about others, not just ourselves. Concerned with the needs of others, humble ourselves, put others first. You see together then in unity we can encourage one another build one another up strengthen one another as we seek to serve the lord we can do what aquila and priscilla and timothy and silas did for paul we can encourage one another in the lord we see secondly now that opposition comes following this encouragement from his friends opposition now arrives verse six it says and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your he- your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Now, as we said earlier, because Timothy and Silas have arrived and they brought with them this this financial aid, Paul has been able to give himself fully to the ministry, give himself full time. And he's going up to the synagogue every time, every chance he gets now, and he's preaching, he's he's fervently okay it says there he's pressed in the spirit in verse 5 and he's testifying to the jews that jesus is indeed the christ and we see now that his ministry has an immediate effect how do we know this well we know it because there's opposition there's opposition coming against him you see opposition is proof that god is at work that and you know every time we see opposition it should encourage us because it means that god's at work something's happening I read this this week. Spurgeon used to say that the devil never kicks a dead horse. That was a really good quote from Spurgeon. The devil never kicks a dead horse. That's the point here. Opposition comes because God's work is being done. Because something's now starting to, to lay hold in the lives of the people Paul is ministering to. And so on cue, the opposition comes against Paul and his ministry. Now, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Let's turn over there. It talks about the fact that whenever the door is open, the opposition is gonna come. First Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, it says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Paul speaks about this. There's a door open unto him. He's talking about Ephesus here. Okay, there's a door open unto him. Well, what's also present? The adversaries are there. Whenever there's a door open, whenever the gospel is going forth, opposition comes. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Live godly, honor God, what happens? Persecution. Be effective for God, what happens? Persecution. You see, when God's word is going forth and it's having an effect, the enemy gets angry. The devil doesn't like it. The devil doesn't like it. The church being effective for the Lord, and so opposition comes. And that's exactly what happens here. Paul's ministry is now increasing. Paul is starting to, to with great fervency preach the gospel. And immediately we see this opposition. You know, as has happened many times before, the ones who stand against him are the Jews, the unbelieving Jews. Just read verse six there again. It says, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed. I'm sorry, the end of verse five there. Okay, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed. So it's the Jews here, it's the unbelieving Jews. These are the ones who stand up against him. And they blaspheme. They blaspheme the name of Christ. Paul has arrived and he's telling them that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is your Messiah. And they respond by rejecting the message and blaspheming the name of the Lord. You know, Paul's response here is very different to what we've seen before. If you think back to Paul's opposition in Thessalonica and in Berea, it was the Jews. They stood up against him and they forced him out of the city on both occasions in Thessalonica and in Berea. They forced him to move on. But here in Corinth, we see that Paul is determined to stay. Paul's determined that he's going to continue the work, he's not moving. Indeed, he's convinced that that God's work has only just begun, that God has more for him to do here. And so he refuses to leave. But what we do see is that he now leaves the synagogue. He distanced himself from the synagogue and the Jews who are ministering there. Look in verse 6. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles Paul's response is that he's going to leave the synagogue he's going to distance himself he's not going back to the synagogue anymore we're told here that he shook his raiment to shake out one's garment was an act of judgment It it was basically Paul declaring you've had your opportunity but now it's over you had your chance it's similar to us today saying we're going to wash our hands of the situation that's what he's doing here when he shakes off his raiments. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Christ speaks about a similar thing to his disciples. Just turn there. Matthew 10. Matthew 10 and verse 14. It says, and Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of a, that house or city, shake off, The dust of your feet. Christ is the same thing as disciples. He says if a city or a house doesn't receive you, then shake off the dust of your feet. It's this same idea. Shake it off. Say that you're done with them by symbolism. You're saying that's it. We're done with this place. You're not going to receive it. You're not going to listen. We'll go elsewhere. We see Paul do this in Acts chapter 13 as well. Just turn over there. Acts chapter 13 and verse 51. Acts 13, verse 51, it says, But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. We have Paul and Barnabas. When they were expelled from one place, they they did the same thing. They shook off the dust of their feet by symbolism expressing their resolve that they're done with the place. And that's what Paul is doing here when he shakes his garment. He's saying, I'm done with the place. I'm done with the synagogue. Not only that, we see that Paul then goes on and he declares... Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. The image here comes from the watchman on the the city walls. You know, the watchman whose task was to to stay alert, to stay awake all night, to pay attention if the enemy came and to blow the trumpet, to warn them of danger. Just turn over to Ezekiel 33. We see where Paul gets this, this imagery from. Ezekiel 33 just read with me from verse one. Ezekiel thirty three and verse one it says, Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people. And saying to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman. Now, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land he blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman seeth the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O Son of Man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel, therefore. Thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Here we see this whole idea of the watchman. The watchman, when he saw the danger coming, it was his responsibility to blow the trumpet, to warn the people. But it was then up to them to listen and respond. It was their responsibility to to pay heed to the warning, to do something about it, to take it seriously. You see, if the watchman did his part and they didn't respond, then the watchman wasn't guilty, was he? Then blood was upon their own heads. They couldn't blame the watchman. That's the point. And that's what Paul is saying here in Acts chapter 18. He's effectively declaring unto them. He's saying, I've done my part as the watchman. I've come into the synagogue and I've declared unto you the truth. See, Paul had warned them of the danger of judgment. He warned them of the danger of hell. He told them clearly the way of salvation, that it was Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ was their Messiah, that he died for them on the cross of Calvary, he was buried and rose again, and yet they chose to ignore the warning. You see, Paul ref- fulfilled his responsibility, and so he was free from blame. His hands were clean. The same is true today. If we preach the gospel, if we faithfully declare the truth that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, we tell people the way of salvation Is simple faith in him, if they choose to reject it, then blood is upon their own heads. They've rejected the message. They've ignored the warning, the clear warning given. Indeed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ your Savior, then there's a warning going out today. We've been around the Lord's table this morning focusing on what Christ has done. Christ died for our sins. He's buried and rose again. There's a warning going forth. And if you ignore that warning, then hell is what's coming in eternity. God says to heed his warning. And Paul here had faithfully declared the warning unto the the Jews in the synagogue. And they rejected the truth. And so because they rejected the truth, they rejected the message, Paul declares that he's now going to take his message unto a more receptive audience. In verse 6 there at the end it says, I am clean, from henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. From this point on, Paul says he's going to take his message primarily to the Gentiles, a, an audience who was much more ready to hear the gospel message. If the Jews in the synagogue didn't want to listen, didn't want to hear that Christ was their Messiah, well, then Paul wasn't going to waste any more time with them. He wasn't going to waste any more time going into the synagogue and being shouted out and opposed. He was going to go somewhere where he could minister effectively. Now, in, in doing so, he fulfilled the principle of Christ's words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. There's no point continuing to cast it out, where it's having no effect. You're wasting it. You see, the Jews, they were determined to reject the gospel. The Jews in the synagogue, they hardened their hearts. They didn't want anything to do with it. And so now it was time to turn and give the truth to someone who was ready to listen. And in verse 7, we see that just at the right time, God gives Paul yet another friend. He gives him a man by the name of Justice, a God-fearing Gentile named Justice. Verse 7, it says, And he departed thence, and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. He enters into the house of this man, and he starts staying with this man named Justice. He's a God-fearing Gentile. And some suggest that perhaps his full name here is Gaius Justice. And that he's the Gaius referred to as Paul's host in Romans chapter 16 and verse 23. It's possible. He's also maybe the Gaius referred to in Corinthians where he says that he baptized Gaius. Can't prove for sure, but many commentators believe that this possibly is the same man. But in any case, this man Justice, he owns a house... They joins hard up to the synagogue. You can picture it, can't you? Paul shakes his cloak off. He says, you are blubbie upon your own heads. He walks out the door and he walks in the door next door and sets up ministry. <laughs> you have to laugh, don't you? you? have to smile. At God's grace, God's mercy, God's wonders, you know, wonderful work. You see, God is at work here, isn't he? God enables Paul now to continue his ministry Right next door. Right next door. And in doing so, Paul still has contact with the Jews as they come into the synagogue, doesn't he? They've still got to see him. He's just not going in there anymore. And any God-fearing Gentiles, the proselytes, they're still coming to the synagogue and he's still able to yell out to them. They're still seeing him. You know, we're told that as a result in verse 8, the chief ruler of the, of the synagogue actually gets saved. It says in verse 8, And Crispus... The chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. The chief ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, now gets saved. He's possibly seeing Paul every day. You know, and eventually, he comes to the Lord. Being ruler of the synagogue, it meant that he, it was his job to oversee the synagogue. He was in charge of taking care of it, you know, and making sure that the services were regular, and that they were in an orderly manner. He was in charge of the whole place. And so obviously Paul has had continued contact with this man and God has worked in this man's heart, softened his heart, and this man has believed. He's got saved. And not just him, his whole house. You see, Paul changed the focus of his ministry in Corinth, but it didn't stop him from still talking to the Jews. He didn't forbid the Jews from coming to the Lord. He didn't stop speaking to them when the opportunity arose. He still took every chance he could. He just changed the focus. And so this man, Crispus, and his whole house turned to the Lord and they're baptized. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just turn over there, we learn that he's one of the few that Paul actually baptizes here in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 14. It says, I thank God that I baptize none of you but Crispus and Gaius. That's why they connect justice with Gaius. Crispus is one of the few that Paul actually baptizes himself. Now we can only imagine the stir that this must have caused in the synagogue amongst the Jewish brethren. Uh, the Jewish population, sorry. To see the ruler of their synagogue leave the synagogue and go next door and start fellowshipping with Paul. Did you imagine the stir? Could you imagine that the upheaval that's taking place now in the city of Corinth? The Jews are not happy. They were already upset. Now they're getting more agitated against Paul. You know, the other verse ends declaring that many other Christians believed. Sorry, many other Corinthians believed as well. It says at the end of the verse there, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. It's so not only Christmas, but you've got other Corinthians, you've got Gentiles, you've got people coming to the Lord. The point is, the church is growing, isn't it? The Lord is adding to the church of Corinth daily such as should be saved. God is now blessing. Now even in the midst of opposition, in fact right next door to that opposition, Paul continued to faithfully serve God and God blessed him because of it. You know, Corinth was not an easy place. He already had all the wickedness around him to deal with and You read 1st and 2nd Corinthians and you know that wickedness was a real problem. But you also had the Jews to contend with. You know, God sent encouragement Paul's way right when he needed it most. And that encouragement came in the form of fellow believers. Each one came exactly when Paul needed them. Each one was sent in the providence of God. You know, Paul's part in all this here was simply to keep his eyes on the Lord and keep serving God, wasn't it? Just keep faithfully doing what God had called him to. And God kept solving the problem. God kept sending someone along. He sent Aquila and Priscilla along his path so he could work and support himself. He sent Timothy and Silas to encourage him and give him financial aid. And then he gives him justice right next door to the synagogue to give him a new base of operations. God blessed him every step of the way. God provided everything he needed. God encouraged him. And you know, God still has more encouragement for Paul. He's not finished, but we ran out of time. I was going to try and get it all done, but there's no way. But God's not finished encouraging Paul here in Corinth. In verse 9 and 10, God gives him a prophecy. Just read verse 9 and 10 with me. It says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in This city, God gives him now a prophecy to encourage him as well. And we'll see that God uses that prophecy and then God fulfills that prophecy. God keeps his promise to him. So as we don't have time this morning, we'll come back next week to look at that encouragement. You know, what a blessing it is to know that our omniscient God sees all of our problems. And he indeed sees them long before we do, doesn't he? He sees them. And as we seek to serve him, he's always going to provide the encouragement we need right at the exact moment, isn't he? He brings along people across our path to encourage us, to lift us up exactly when we need them most. You know, like Paul, our part is just to keep our eyes on the Lord and keep faithfully serving him, keep plodding on. You know, I understand that opposition, it's part of serving God. Trials and afflictions, it's part of serving God. But as we keep our eyes on him and we keep pressing on you know what god will provide everything we need he will strengthen us god will encourage us so that we can keep going on for him and serve him faithfully let's close in a word of prayer dear lord and every father we thank you so much for your word this morning lord we thank you for the apostle paul and lord as he started this ministry here in corinth lord we just see your wonder wonderful hand upon him your, your providence lord as you bring each of these ones across his path at the exact moment, the time that he needed the most. And Lord, we, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you encourage us, you lift us up when we need it most as well. And Lord, help us to, to not quit when we get down, and get discouraged, but always to keep our eyes on you, keep pressing on, and know that you will lift us up. And Lord, help us also to be encouragement under fellow believers around us, help us as a body to be united and encourage one another. Lord, also this morning, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you as the Savior, that, Lord, they'd, they'd heed the warning from your word this morning. Uh, Lord, heed the warning of even the Lord's table, the message of salvation. Bless now as we close, we pray in Jesus' name.